This is Alicia Free, a badass belly dancer, musician, and real food enthusiast, here to help you feel a little lighter. Each show will dive into music that makes us want to dance. We'll share secrets of looking smoking hot in costume and everyday life. We'll dote on delicious whole food that makes us glow. And I'll throw in a damn sexy dance move you can try at home. Hello from South Korea. I am quarantined in a hotel room with my husband and four-year-old for 14 days, and it's pretty noisy. But I just wanted to add that this interview with Rachel was recorded in June. So you'll hear us talk about the summer coming up and all of that. But it's an amazing interview, and you are going to love it. Rachel Fisher is our first guest who does not currently identify as a belly dancer. Rachel is based in Boulder, Colorado right now. She's been focusing on inner work the past couple of years, and she decided to let go of a belly dance blog on Instagram and Facebook that had about 250,000 followers. We'll ask her more about that later in the show. Rachel studied with Rachel Bryce and Zoe Jakes, and I think Zoe Jakes even follows Rachel on Instagram right now. The healing work that Rachel practices is ceremonial botanical bodywork which she created weaving acupuncture, Chinese medicine, and earth-centered shamanism, where the focus is working with non-psychedelic plant spirit medicine in ceremony with bodywork. You know, I will always identify as a belly dancer as a root, but I think now it's less specific. It's become just dancer, but belly dance is part of my heart for sure. <laughs> nice. And you go by compassionate dancer. Yes on my Instagram handle. And that was part of the Facebook blog as well. That was always my handle. Why did you choose that, Rachel? My practice is compassionate medicine. And I feel like compassion is a way of life for me. I started that blog because I came into experience with some jealousy. And when I first started belly dancing, more the shadow side, when a lot of it was very supportive. And I wanted to create a space sharing my journey, but also showcasing, supporting a lot of the other dancers and community and just to create a safe space for that. And I think compassion says that I'm not above you or beneath you. We both share darkness and light. And how can we come together in that place? And that's how I approach my healing work too. It's that, you know, I understand the darkness with you. I'm not here to heal you. It's more about being with someone. And that's how I approach the blog. To be with other dancers in the blog. Yeah, I wanted to share my own journey becoming a dancer later in life because I really was on a track, it felt, to be a professional dancer. I was so in love with it and the community and it just lit me up from a place where I wasn't sure about who I was anymore, becoming a mom and being really disillusioned with that. And I also wanted to showcase a lot of diversity that I saw, not just the famous known dancers, but I liked how much diversity in the community there was. And I wanted to show the beauty and all the different flavors. That's so beautiful that that was your motivation. I might be completely off base here, but I think a majority of belly dance blogs are started because you kind of just want to put your own stuff out there, you know, and you can see that too, with the way that you repost so many great things. I don't even know how to do that on Instagram, <laughs> but you seem to be a person who loves to showcase 
others. It's really cool. Yeah. So I started it when Instagram didn't blow up yet. So I started early, right before the boom. I'd say 2015, and it was a passion project. There was a dancer who was completely self-taught. She was a young woman. Her name was Amy Marie Gartner, and she was a Vine star. So it was just a six-second clip. That's what Vine was. And she made a six-second clip that went viral because it moved so many people. And she moved me. That's how I got hooked. And I was so impressed that she was self-taught, you know, that she worshipped Michael Jackson's dance and just watched his videos and learned it all in her basement. And that's what inspired me to start showing my own journey of becoming a dancer. And I wanted to show all the people that inspired me on that journey. And this also was before a lot of the international dancers, especially Eastern European and Russian on Instagram, were becoming very well known in the community. And I just went on searches on YouTube to find these dancers I was so moved by and learned how to make those clips. And a lot of them I built a relationship with because it was important to me to personally approach them on Instagram and say, is it okay if I repost your dance? So I always did that. I built these relationships with all these dancers of respect. A lot of the clips that I made from YouTube, I would credit them and the dancers. But I think that became an issue for me that the copyright over some time. This was over a period of years that that's kind of where I came to. But it was amazing to see this international community on Instagram come together and even them coordinating these big contests to bring the community together. Yeah, I loved that. And I loved that many people wrote to me and said, this inspired me to become a dancer. As a mom, mostly practicing from my computer in my living room or in my bedroom, I wanted to show that that was possible. So community was my intention. But then I had one clip that I made of an amazing Russian dancer named Kromushka. And the clip went viral and it was viewed 25 million times. <laughs> what? And I had a relationship with her. She does not speak English. So her assistant and I developed a relationship and that was very respectful. And I was like, oh my God, because it was a phenomenon. I woke up and my blog had like 200,000 friend requests. And I thought this was amazing because my love of belly dance clicked around the world. And I was like, yes, it's resonating with all those people. They see the beauty in it too. (laughs) But that was strange for me too, to suddenly have all this attention on me because I was showing my dance as well. And I had a mixed relationship with that. I think social media in general is a neutral thing, but what we do with it and how we relate to it how we react to it can become either a good thing or a bad thing. And for me, it started to become a sickness in that it was a great way to distract. To create that content required an exceptional amount of time. So there was legitimate work involved and passion, but then it started to become a way to check out. And also, it's a very heady experience with the ego to suddenly have thousands of likes on your dance videos. <laughs> Do you know wow, what I mean? Yeah. 
And I had a spiritual awakening when my daughter one day said to me at night, Mama, do you remember when you put down your phone last night and was with me? And I said, yeah. And she said, remember you loved that. And it just crushed my heart. I realized that I wasn't present and I had to have a different relationship with it. And that corresponded with some great loss in my life too. I had a real hands-on experience last year with my dearest friend in the world, probably the most intimate relationship I've had. And I was her primary caretaker along with her daughter. And she had this very violent, aggressive cancer that killed her. And I had to be hands-on with her. I was moved into hospice. And my massage on her body was one of the only things that gave her relief from the pain. And that experience changed me. I realized that I preferred being in real life and that no followers and no amount of likes was ever going to make that better. Those followers weren't going to be on your deathbed holding your hand. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? Right. It just became very empty for me. And I only wanted to connect with the social media world unless it came from a place of connection or that I was of service in some way. So that's why I let go of that. And I think it's wonderful that when I do feel inspired to post something now, it's from an intuition like, oh, that this might touch someone. I feel the call that someone might need to hear that. And I listened to that. And it's interesting that you reached out to me. (laughs) I'm like, oh, okay, well, if it can be of service in some way. And, you know, I'm still in the unknown space with all of that. I haven't done much with social media probably for two years, might even be three, while that evolves and changes inside of me. But I know for the past few years, I had to make a choice to be present in my real life family and all that that entailed and my own inner work, if that makes sense. Yeah, we all have 24 hours in the day and we all can only pay attention to so many things at once. And you figured out what you wanted to pay attention to. Totally. And it became true for me because I had that experience of blogging and devoting my life to dance in a technical way, you know, with training and then being part of the circus with very grueling practices. I, as a working mother of two children who can't afford childcare, had to make a choice with how I balanced my life. You know, and I think we would do a disservice to say that women can do it all. (laughs) Do you know that that's a very personal choice in what that looks like? Yeah, it often looks like the feeling of failure and dissatisfaction and not enjoying all these amazing moments. There's like a pipeline of them in our lives, amazing moments, and we just don't even notice them sometimes because we're supposed to be doing more. Yes, totally. I love your clarity, Rachel. Oh, I'm glad you hear clarity. (laughs) I do. Yeah, definitely. (laughs) You know, because I think in life, sometimes we go through these dark nights of the soul or we're much more of a hermit and things haven't taken shape. But that's a rich, beautiful place to be, too. Doing a really good job with all this being just with mom and dad stuff. That's for sure. How old are your kids? 
They are 11 and 8 now. Okay. So definitely some more freedom on my end. (laughs) How are they doing with having to stay home with mom? It's been intense. My daughter went through a lot of grief. She's very extroverted and social. And so there was a big loss for her. Our city was a shelter at home for two and a half months. So it was a lot, but there was a lot of beauty in it too. We realized, wow, we like being just with our family. We're thinking of maybe living more off the grid. Mm -hmm. (laughs) A lot has changed because of it, just our values as a family. And we have started a lot of fun projects that are just living with the land. Bringing it back to what do we have right here? How can we travel in our own space in a way and discover it in different ways all the time? Totally. That's a great way to describe that. Our gardens are going to be the most beautiful gardens ever this year. That is the truth. (laughs) Getting to garden for the first time because of not working and the kids are at the right age for me to be out there and not have to have my eye on them all the time. Yeah. My son, he tries to eat wildflowers for dinner sometimes because we got this flower called Dane's Rockets <laughs> and we have put bouquets of it. I'm like, you can't eat wildflowers for dinner. You know, like, you gotta have something else. I never let go of the flowers. They've always been part of my life. The morning prayer dance videos posted on Instagram as Compassionate Dancer are beautiful. It's just you in your living room or your bathroom dancing with sunlight coming in. You seem to be a woman who is very in touch with ritual. And your botanical work, I'd love to hear more about that video of you with your daughter, you brushing her with plants, just blew my mind. Yeah, that probably would be my dance ritual. Danceable ritual. Just brushing yourself with a plant that you're moved by or crushing it and smelling it, putting it on your heart and your body before movement, incorporating it in the movement is so profound in how it can change your mood or open up other things in your mind and your heart. And this is accessible to us all. Just look at what's growing around you outside your door. Because a lot of times the compassionate plant spirits grow near you for a reason. This is what I believe, that if you just look around, there's medicine everywhere, no matter where you live. I mean, hopefully there's a little bit of nature, even in the cities, if you're in lockdown, just growing a herb garden in your house. So that's a big part of the lineage I practice, working with these plants. And I do incorporate it in my dance ritual. Like you see in that video with my daughter, plant brushing. Sometimes if a plant isn't even edible, it has a healing property or healing power that just putting it on the body. You just opened up something completely new for me. (laughs) Yeah, it's so simple. And this is accessible to everybody. We can be our own healers and our healer in the family. My daughter, over the years, she's been very open to it. Plants have their own spirit. A lot of the plants are compassionate spirits. Of course, there are some that you don't want to work with, like poison ivy. I mean, not everything in nature is going to be helpful. But if you pay attention to the plant, you can observe and understand, I think, what its healing nature would be for you. And just like any relationship, you don't want to just take, but cut it in a way that's not going to hurt the plant. If you take a branch or a piece of it, I recommend crushing it, smelling it, 
when I went to acupuncture school and studied Chinese herbology, we had the hundreds of herbs in little bags that we had to understand the medicine and the way the plant worked. We had to smell it. It has a smell. We had to taste it. It has a different flavor, whether it's sour, sweet, bitter. And that's how you learn to understand how it works. In anything that's growing around you, I think you can do that. And just the internet, it's so accessible. And there are even apps where you can take a picture and it will identify it for you. It's amazing. So you can go deep with just what you think might be a weed growing outside your door is actually a very healing plant. And even offering something to it, like both my children, when we go into nature, they go and grab a rock or a stick that they like, and they offer it to the plant or the tree before they take from it. And sometimes I carry around kelp. It's very helpful to the plant. So I put it around the plant before I take something. In my lineage, whispering is a way that they hear. I am a very quiet person in a lot of ways. (laughs) Finding my voice has been a path in life. Not keeping it inside, but actually whispering the gratitude to the plant is a way they receive it. So that is often a way that I prepare my space to dance because now where I am in my life, dance has become more of a prayer than a technique or performance. That's how I use the plants in my ritual. Have you ever read The Secret Life of Plants? I don't know if I have read that one. (laughs) The family I stay with in Delhi in India, they bought it for me once. And it's all about hooking electrodes or whatever to the plants. And when you break off a piece or even kind of threaten it with a lighter, they respond. I guess it's nothing that scientists are saying, oh, yes, that's the truth. But (laughs) it's very interesting stuff. I believe it. Yeah, of course, they have their lives. There's something going on. Whether we can understand it or not is a matter of listening, I think. Yeah, there's a whole spectrum of woo. I live in the most woo town there is probably, (laughs) Boulder, Colorado. (laughs) I am from New York, and I am still a grounded person. (laughs) Some of this might seem out there, but... There is legitimate medicine available in these little simple practices. I don't think it's too far out there. I love a mix of woo-woo and science and whatever. Me too. Criticism, (laughs) you know, all that good stuff is so nice to have it all together. That's beautiful. You got into Rachel Bryce's Eight Elements and Zoe Jake's Dance Craft right when you started dancing. What are a few things about dance that you've learned from Rachel Bryce and Zoe Jakes? Both of them are exceptional human beings. And I have had personal relationships with both of them. You know, the Elevation Dance Festival that I was a part of has this amazing ambassador program. And my understanding, it's the only festival that does this. So Elizabeth Ashner is the director of that festival. And I was in her dance troupe, Muse. She's a friend and she selects dancers to actually be the assistant of the teachers that come to town. So basically, they're assistant for the week. You do everything for them. You pick them up, you take them food shopping, you're driving with them in the car. And so I was Rachel Bryce's and it was wonderful to get to know her as a person and not just a teacher because I had done her eight element dance course and Zoe too. I was in two of her dance crafts. The first dance program was her guinea pig group to create dance craft. And that was out in Oakland, California. I learned that 
it's important to have integrity and humility as a dancer and to honor your teachers. And both of them have those qualities. And they're both funny. They have a sense of humor. The ability to laugh at yourself. I learned that even Rachel, who's probably one of the best dancers in the world, still gets anxious before performing, you know, and she's very open about that. I mean, I really learned from Zoe Jakes and Rachel that if you want to be a dancer at that level, you have to practice. (laughs) And Zoe's dance courses, it's basically the dance drills that you practice forever. It's like eating your vegetables before you can access the fun parts. So they're both very dedicated to their craft and doing that. And I understood that. And that's why I progressed fast in the beginning, you know, when I was very devoted to that path. They have a lot of grace, too, when they've openly made mistakes. I'm wondering if these are things that we could actually see in their dance to a certain extent, because I just love watching both of those women dance so much. And it's not all technical or showmanship. There's something else in there, some other quality that I just respect. So maybe that's part of it. Yeah, I think both of them have deep integrity and sense of humor. And they're both highly skilled. I know there's controversy in the tribal fusion world or even calling it tribal fusion. Rachel, really one of the main dancers that created this dance form and just honoring how that was created and her teachers. And Zoe has said herself, she works her ass off. I mean, (laughs) you don't get to that level without working your ass off. And, you know, they've been doing that for 20 years. I had to recognize the limitations of getting to that kind of level, that probably wouldn't be possible in my lifetime, starting at 38 and being okay with that, that we all have a place. We're not all going to be Rachel Bryce or Zoe Jakes. (laughs) So can it still be meaningful if you're not a star? I love every time I dance. If I make one person smile when I'm dancing, I'm like, well, that was fun. That was cool. You know, I've never had the experience of performing in front of a giant audience or anything like that. So yeah, I had to look at that because I feel in my soul I'm a dancer. But what is it then if suddenly you're not evolving in technique or practicing to perform? That was my journey the past couple of years. Yeah, the meaning part, we create it. It's completely our choice. In this whole quarantine, I'm in a band. I love dancing with my band so much. I love playing music. I love singing. And I haven't done that with who I love to do that with. And instead, we're dancing on Facebook Live every day as a family to dance songs and trying to light people up in that way. That's amazing. 78 consecutive... I am so impressed. (laughs) I I mentioned that to you. Yeah. Wow. And so I'm not doing these performances to this beautiful Middle Eastern music, this beautiful toxie or anything, but I'm like, whatever, man, my kid falls asleep singing the Beastie Boys right now. (laughs) I swear to God, he was singing Beastie Boys as he was falling asleep last night. (laughs) All right. So this is what it looks like right now. Totally. That's awesome. Yeah, and that's been beautiful. You know, I've been on social media a lot more in quarantine. Seeing the creative ways dancers are connecting and performing is pretty cool. Mm-hmm. All the different shows, the different kinds of things. Yeah, My friends that own a dance studio, you know, they're in their dance studio taking pictures, dressing up, doing burlesque alone. I'm like, you guys are amazing. <laughs> Love you so much. Now it's time for some music. Danceable Song. 
Is there a danceable song you'd like to share? Yes, I am a big fan of trap. It's more underground. And I know a lot of fusion dancers use this music because I see fusion as being a bit more of exploring the dark side, shadow side. It's a deep, dark, gritty music to me. But what's beautiful is it's reaching a lot of people. I actually contacted the artist Nextro. He lives in Russia. He's 22 years old. And he calls this genre of music that he does ethnic trap. Rachel also mentions Arabic trap, which is really cool and worth checking out. These artists using some sacred texts and chants with these beats. And that really speaks to me. When I was a teen, I lived in an ashram, and that's just been a big part of my life and my past. I've resonated a lot with Indian culture. So I like that. And I see some of these famous dancers dancing to it. Budaham by Nextro. That song in particular reached a huge audience, Kira Habibi. She's in the Ukraine. And if you see on YouTube, she had a video dancing to that song that went viral. Budaham by Nextro. And that chant is a Hindu chant to the god Shiva. So I like looking at the lyrics, studying actually that Sanskrit chant, what is moving me. It's really just like a pranam, a reverential offering. That whole chant in that song is about offerings to a higher power. Let's do some dancing. Dance move. Is there a dance move that you love that you would like to share? I love this concept, Pranam, which I learned from Kalina Shakti and specifically her video on Detora Online, which I absolutely love. Detora Online, just the accessibility to anyone in the world to be able to take classes in their living room. But that really spoke to me that she was teaching Pranam as a Sanskrit word that all Indian dancers do regardless of the dance form, that it's really a gesture of reverence and an offering that you do it before your dance. And it really is about what the sentiment in the heart is and not what you're thinking in the head. And I'm so grateful you asked this question because in preparing for this interview, I had forgotten that that was what really sparked me on the belly dance path was seeing her. It was so moving and it's only a two minute dance piece. And I've kept that practice. And I'd say for the past couple of years, that's only been my dance practice, that every movement is a pranam because, you know, I'm trying to find myself again and my connection to a higher power that I feel I lost. So I think that's a great way to start any dance practice is remembering to make an offering to something bigger than ourselves. Like if you go see some Odissi performances, they'll light an oil lamp at the beginning, depending on what dance it is, you know, honor somebody, honor a God that is the symbol of a spirit or an energy. And I love that where you're just kind of opening it up like God's here. Yeah. The God in all of us is here. Yes. You know, let's dance. It's just so beautiful to me. Me too. <laughs> Kalina Shakti. And so you could see her do the whole dance. You could just rent it. And it's very inexpensive for 30 days. I feel like it was $3. So it's totally worth mm-hmm. three bucks in there and seeing how you could open your dance if you'd like to, if you would like more of the sacred in your dance. 
an idea for how to do that. And I love that you have Kalina Shakti in here too, because I was able to go to Pushkar and visit her dance school. You are so lucky. That is so cool. And I studied with some Kalbelia dancers in her school. And the way that they touched the ground with the hands, I was like, oh yeah, that's what the the Kalbelia dancers would do in in the part of their hair, with their palm of their hand too, the spot of their hand. You started belly dancing when you were 38. And belly dance has helped you with postpartum depression, anxiety, disillusionment with motherhood, and healing sexual trauma. I've seen you write about embodiment and soul loss and soul retrieval. Would you like to talk about belly dancing as a tool for healing? Yes. So I love belly dance because it came at a perfect time in my life. You know, I identified as a dancer most of my life in different ways. Did ballet when I was young, and then African dance really helped me find my way as a teen. And then I was a big raver (laughs) and club kid. That was exciting when that was happening. (laughs) I'm a lot older than most people on Instagram, I think. (laughs) I'm noticing that too, that, you know, I'm entering a different time, but I'm 45. So a lot of the energy on there is, I think, a lot of maiden years. I had a friend who brought me to a free belly dance class. And it was not a fusion class. It was traditional belly dance. And I was just hooked. And I was coming out of a really bad postpartum anxiety depression period. So my son was probably around a year and a half when I went to that free class. And I was so shell-shocked by motherhood I thought even from pregnancy that I'd be this earth mama and love it. And so it was very shocking to me to be like, whoa, I don't love this. (laughs) Where do you go with that? But on top of it, the chemistry piece, you know, I had legitimate postpartum depression anxiety where I almost was hospitalized. And so I didn't know who I was anymore. And then to, you know, have this dance form that felt suddenly like mine, like made me remember a part of myself I had forgotten, a sensual, sexual, independent person separate from child, just these other pieces of myself. And I did get feedback from my teachers, which I thought was interesting. You know, you're not moving your hips when we would do shimmies, that they felt very small and controlled, like there was a disconnect. Because in my healing work that I've done over the years with people or with myself is a lot about coming into the body. You know, I think a lot of us are dissociated and that in shamanism is called soul loss when a piece of your soul scatters from a life's traumatic events. And it's about how do you retrieve those pieces? And I realized that I still had a lot of disconnect from the lower part of my body because that is the, you know, the sexual chakra. That is our chakra where we feel safe in the world. And I was still disconnected from a history of sexual abuse that I've had to heal throughout my life. You know, it's just one long thread, a spiral of constantly unfolding and changing and working with. And so when my teachers gave me that feedback, I was like, wow, because in my mind, I was shaking like crazy. So starting to connect with my pelvis and the abdomen and my hips and feeling my feet on the ground and breathing 
from the head into the lower part of my abdomen and my feet and feeling all the feelings that literally were being shaken up. That was how belly dance helped me heal that part and become more embodied. So I think if we're dissociated, we lose touch with a lot of the truth of who we are. And so finding these safe places to connect with what's stored in our body. It's my personal belief that the only way to truly heal is if you work with mind, body, spirit on all those levels. It doesn't have to be all at once, but that's my personal experience. So wow, belly dance is such an amazing tool for that. And it took me on an amazing actualized journey, you know, like I said, getting into these dance schools, that felt like fate, getting into Rachel Brace's Eight Elements. It's not about skill getting in, it's about luck, because it's almost like winning the lottery. It sells out in a second. So when you're trying to log in to get into the school, it's really luck. (laughs) So I got in right away. And then Zoe Jake's dance craft, you know, I went on this huge journey with that. And then the circus. So I think there is a lot of healing that can unfold in the movement of the hips and the belly. And you belly dance professionally in a circus. So it looks like an artsy and beautiful circus, similar to Cirque du Soleil. Yes. And I want to go see a circus with fusion belly dance in it. It looks like the founder was actually studying tribal fusion. What was it like to be in the circus and be part of a professional dance troupe, belly dancing and doing fusion belly dance in a circus? It was amazing opportunity. I mean, I always joke like, wow, I joined the circus at 42 years old. (laughs) It's like life is so fun. You know, you're never too old (laughs) to go on these adventures. And so Natalie Brown is the director and she is a total Renaissance woman. She is very skilled fusion dancer and musician, singer, and it was like the Cirque du Soleil. So there was a lot of aerial. She's an aerialist too. And as part of the circus, we were a fusion dance group. And I reached out to her because I was just so on fire with the dance form. And she took me in. I was really grateful for that. And I was definitely on a more apprentice level because I had never been a professional dancer So being around these extremely devoted people to their craft, you know, all the aerialists, the acrobatics was amazing, but it was very demanding schedule. I mean, the amount of time you have to devote to practice, and this was in Denver. So yeah, it's a Denver circus, Denver-based circus, was pretty grueling. And I, I think there was only one other member who had a child. So it is different. I was practicing sometimes till 11 at night, and it was hard on my family in some ways, but they were very supportive. It was amazing to have my children come and see me. That was so worth it. I loved how it pushed me because I had never done sword dancing before, and I had to basically learn it for the performance, which probably was in a two or three month time frame. So that dedication to learn sword dance, it was such a beautiful piece too. I mean, to work with a sword is powerful. (laughs) It was amazing to experience that. So yeah, we had fire dancers and then the fusion dance group did sword dancing. That was one of the performances that really stood out for me. 
And I ultimately, though, had to make a choice about whether I wanted to devote my time to that type of practice or my family. And, you know, I chose my family. But what an amazing experience. Yeah, I was really grateful to get to experience that. And you just become very close with the people you're working with because it's so much time and commitment. But, you know, it is hard, too, that you put that much time in and performances, then it's short. (laughs) You're on stage for five minutes. But yeah, it was an amazing experience. I think you have a clip of your sword dance with Circus on your Instagram account. Oh yeah, that would be a good thing to link the whole performance. Yeah, Yeah, it's a great performance. One thing that I loved about the way you posted it was you said you can practice something for 15 minutes a day. You don't need to binge practice, but 15 minutes a day over a longer time period, you know, I think you were essentially were saying you can come close to mastering it or something like that. Totally. I think it's even two minutes because I learned that from Rachel Bryce. That was a great thing that she taught. And she teaches a lot from the Little Book of Secrets. Oh, that would be a good thing to link. Little Book of Secrets? Let me see if I can look it up. The author of the book studied athletes all over the world and basically came up with the science of how to most effectively practice. And Rachel teaches that well. And she bases a lot of her teachings from this book. And essentially, it comes from neuroscience that practicing two minutes a day, very focused, And that means like very focused, correcting wherever you make a mistake right away for two minutes, you will progress more than if you did one hour binges a week of practice. And I thought that was powerful because it teaches that you can really progress with just a little bit of time each day. But that's the key. It's the each day and the focus of those two minutes. It actually changes the neural pathway in your brain, become better. So that changed the way I practice, you know, because I was thinking, oh, I have to do these two-hour sessions, and that's not really true. That means there's hope. Yes. <laughs> because two-hour sessions, you know, you have, have that like time. Who has that time? And then you end up putting it off or rearranging it. And it's like meditation, right? Right. If I had to meditate for one hour a day to feel like I was getting a benefit from meditation, I don't think I'd be doing it. But you always know, start at five minutes, right? Right. Then you want to keep meditating for 25 minutes and you figure out what time in the morning you have to wake up in order to meditate for 30 minutes. It's just this beautiful progression where if you think you got to start with big chunks, this is really easy to never do it. Yeah, that gives you hope, right? <laughs> yeah, oh, I love that. Oh, it's called The Little Book of Talent ah. by Daniel Coyle. Nice. Now let's take a moment to dote on delicious whole food that makes us dancers glow. Featured light in my body food. What is one vegan whole food ingredient that you love? I'm going to say watermelon. Have you used that one yet? No, but I love watermelon. And I'll tell you why, because it is considered a Chinese medicinal herb. We call it shiguo in Chinese, and it's an amazing medicine. (laughs) You're in New York, so it's probably hot right now at this time of year, but especially in (laughs) heat, watermelon actually really clears out heat conditions in your body. So if you're overheated, if you have like heat rashes, fever, 
dehydration, sores in your mouth. These are all heat conditions. Watermelon, literally drain it out of your body. So it's not just a fruit. It's got a lot of medicinal properties. I'm a big fan of making watermelon juice in the summer. I recommend it to a lot of pregnant women in the summer, you know, that are feeling overheated. And you can also fill up the rind, you know, if you carved out the watermelon and put salt, it gets a frost on the rind that we call watermelon frost. And that actually is a true medicinal too in Chinese medicine for putting on any type of sore in the mouth and it it clears it right up. Salt on the rind? Yeah. So if you hollowed out the watermelon so that the pink part was out and just the rind, pack it with salt. It gets a frost on the rind on the outside that is a medicinal for clearing heat toxin. So on the smooth part, it comes out. Mm-hmm. <gasps> the commercial formula that's pretty ancient in Chinese medicine is called watermelon frost. You can buy it. It's a blend of a couple of things, but you use that to spray on sore throats. I had a woman who had chemo on the throat, so it was very scalded, and that just cleared it right up pretty amazing. It's so with watermelon too, do you put it through a juicer or just a blender? Just a blender. It's so much water content. I like mixing it with lime juice and water. And if you have some mint in the yard. <laughs> oh, heck yeah. Yeah. Watermelon and mint. Yeah. Watermelon balls with mint, like a salad of it. <laughs> oh, nice. Let's play dress up. Make you shine. Costume tip. I've seen many photos of you with gorgeous headdresses on. Oh, I'm a fan of the headdress. Definitely headdresses. Yeah, I think they definitely convey a message. They're powerful. I think of Zoe Jakes with her beautiful headdress that are deer antlers. Oh, God, I love that. I saw her in Syracuse with that, like that parachute skirt. Yes. Oh, yep. And see, it stands out in your mind, too. There's just Mm -hmm. something magical about that. I've always been drawn to the headdresses. And, you know, of course, there's the issue of you don't want to wear the Native American war bonnet. (laughs) You know, you have to look at that. But I think the creation of any adornment on the head is timeless. And I am a big fan of finding small artists on Etsy. I found some beautiful art that you can adorn your head with for dance on Etsy over the years. Just like Zoe Jakes, I love incorporating the elements of like animal qualities. Yeah, some of the most powerful dances I've seen. I saw a woman dance. She covered her eyes completely with just this animal head. And I can't get it out of my head. I think about it all the time. It really spoke to me in a deep way. And I think probably that's because I'm just so drawn to nature and nature spirits. I see that come out through headdress. And yeah, I love it. You're reminding me of a photograph I took of a child at a medieval festival too, where she had, I don't know if it was a raccoon's face, like right above her eyes too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, how, how much I remember that image. Right. It's a great way to become something else in the dance. Even I'm just thinking of all these dances of Zoe's, you know, she's even incorporated some amazing dance with masks that she takes on and off. She actually did a dance live. We saw it. Elizabeth also does a festival called Illumination that was just Zoe in the Denver area. And Zoe made a headdress of different feathers that she plucked out slowly over the course of the dance. And my husband is very different than me. He's like a Southern Republican. (laughs) 
<laughs> of the earth. Like I'm really out there to him. It's great balance though. He keeps me grounded. He watched that dance with me and he had tears streaming down his face. So yeah, the headdress can be powerful. Mm. Working the feathers out one by one. Mm-hmm. One of the women I go to a mini build festival with, Pasita, she once performed a piece where she took off her jewelry as she danced piece by piece, almost weeping. Wow. It was so beautiful. As Will Durant said, we are what we repeatedly do. So let us repeatedly do what the divinely lovely do. Feel good. Look good, Habit. There is a feel-good-look-good habit in almost every episode of this podcast. And when you mentioned abdominal self-massage, I was totally intrigued. You believe that abdominal massage is super essential and powerful, especially for belly dancers. And self-abdominal massage and releasing emotional armor bands on the abdomen is profound. Can you tell us more about that? Yeah, the abdomen. There's a whole world in that abdomen. So powerful. And even in the different yogas I've practiced and the healing arts I've practiced, different cultures, there is a cross-cultural, what would you call it? Phenomenon? Maybe, yeah, where they focus on the abdomen for a lot of healing and, you know, how it's like the second brain there's more serotonin receptors and receptors in the gut than the brain. So there are a lot of feels in there. And then you have the energy centers. I think connecting with that part of your body can be very releasing. It can be very scary for some people. You know, before I work with someone, if I'm actually going to be doing abdominal work, I ask for permission first because I recognized that can be extremely vulnerable for a lot of people. They have a lot of feelings about the abdomen, whether it's weight, scars, stretch marks, sexual trauma. And I think also it's sensitive too, because just my experience as a body worker, I can't tell you how many times I've had people on the table have an emotional release from moving something somatically, whether it's through touch or the plants or acupuncture needles, where they're like, oh my God, I didn't know I had so much emotion stuck there. And they might have a huge cry or anger might come out. So that is my personal belief that we do hold things in the tissues and store emotions in the tissues. And sometimes if you don't create flow, that's what creates the imbalance and the disease. So, you know, just connecting with that part of your body can be profound. And belly dance can do that. The breathing into the abdomen can do that. I like plants on the abdomen because it's kind of a de-armoring before you actually touch. It can feel safer. Just plant brushing over the abdomen, holding the plants on top of the abdomen. I'm a big fan of weight. So like warm rocks kind of can drop you into that area. I like different oils. You know, I think it can be very powerful to choose your own essential oil that moves you or castor oil, which actually moves stuck energy and tissue in the abdomen, creating flow and health. But there are certain areas that definitely correspond to different emotions. Like I would say even the sternum between the breasts is one of the most powerful grief points in acupuncture and it opens the chest also helps lung health but you know rubbing that area 
putting an oil there, pushing it down. I think even if you feel yourself, quite often it'll be sensitive. So that can release grief. And then under the ribs corresponds with liver energy. And that's where we can hold a lot of anger. So like physically massaging that area can release the anger, frustration, unfulfilled desires is another emotion that corresponds with liver energy. And then actually just detoxifying the physical liver, it's helpful for that. And moving in a circular pattern over the abdomen can help digestion. And then just right above the pubic bone, that space. So even if a person who identifies as a woman doesn't have a womb, whether they weren't born with one, or even if they had their womb removed, there's still an energetic space there. And you can do a lot of work in that area. If you have menstrual problems, pain, sexual trauma, or even just lack of faith in life. So a lot of our security comes from that in those lower chakra areas, or trust in life. So yeah, you can do this through touch. Like I said, the plants, if it feels too intimate to do touch, you can use oils, you can use warm rocks, any way to kind of connect with that part of the body, I think can be very powerful and restorative, healing. And really, I think dropping into that place too, you can connect with the truth of who you are, you know, those messages that are trying to come up that are connecting you to your soul's path. So yeah, it's all about grounding. And anyone can do it. I mean, now there's so much available online where it can direct you on how to do it too. It's totally foreign. But I think that's a great practice, especially for dancers, because also too, I mean, you're just massaging those muscles. You know, you can get a lot more flexibility and openness in that area. You can experiment with deep pressure in the abdomen, you know, different levels, but you can go really deep and see if that feels good and move what's stuck. I'll going to link to a video in the show notes of abdominal self-massage, an instructional video. It's a great video. And I was watching it, but it's so simple, Mm -hmm. but I never thought to do that. Yeah. And I started doing it just a little bit without oil. And oh, something does feel different. Like, why am I holding this tension in my abdomen? Mm -hmm. I didn't know that was happening. You know, I think about the tension in my face and in my shoulders and in my back, you know, all those kinds of things I've thought are my hands. I've never thought about holding it in my abdomen. Yeah, that's great. (laughs) And do you have any tips too? So the woman in the video, she puts oil on and I'm like, oh no, I don't want oil all over my bed. Do you have any suggestions for how to do a self-massage with oil, but not get it on other things that you don't want oil? Yeah, I think you don't need a lot. You can just touch your fingers. It can be very little. You can even use cornstarch, you know, if you wanted something dry, just so your fingers are more slick, just kind of wiping the cornstarch on your hands. That also can give you a lot of movement. Even just the tiniest dot of an essential oil if you work with those. And like I said, too, it doesn't have to be on the bare skin. Like even if you wanted to use some branches with leaves or like I work a lot with lemon balm is growing very profusely in my yard. It's in the mint family, gathering a bunch of that and then really brushing on the abdomen instead of strokes with my hands. And even that can be over the clothes is very powerful. Even like beating your stomach, like tapping with plants, <laughs> like a drum, you know, finding all those places that feel stuck and sensitive. Rachel, I'm looking at all the lemon balm in my backyard. Oh my God, that's it. That I've been wondering plant. what to do with it. <laughs> Power plant right there. 
Oh, I've made tea out of it, but it tastes like trick cereal to me. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. God, that's such a good plant to gather bunches and use plant brushing your whole body. Smelling it. I like making an elixir. That's what I just have brewing in my cabinet. It has to steep for about six weeks, six to eight. Putting your fresh lemon balm in a mason jar, brandy or vodka, filling that up halfway, and then a honey that you like. You know, local honey is good to use if you have allergies and then shaking that up and then leave it in a dark closet and that elixir so you can put it in a tincture bottle is an amazing, amazing medicine (laughs) for anxiety, grief. It's a great medicine for these times, you know, just healing the nervous system. It's one of the best herbs for that. Do you wash it before you put it in the jar? No. Put it right in. You can rinse it if you like, because honey and alcohol will preserve it forever. So when you want the tincture, you strain out the plant material after about two months. And you don't need a lot, you know, you can do it as needed, like droppers throughout the day and see how it works with your system. But it's a super safe medicine. It's safe for children, unless you don't want to give them the alcohol, but it's a super safe, effective Nervine medicine. Half of the jar is brandy, so half a quarter brandy and the other half is all honey. Yeah. And you want to put the alcohol in first and then the honey so that the honey doesn't like stick around the plant material. Mm-hmm. And kind of encapsulate it. Yeah, and shake it, and then you just leave it. I've been looking at all this lemon balm, like, what do I do with you? You're such a cool plant. Yeah. It smells so good. I'm terrible. Like my herbology, I just like to make tea and mix it with tequila. <laughs> yeah, that's a great way to practice. <laughs> I love it. That's as far as I go with all that stuff so far in my life, but I can definitely would love to learn more. So thank you for Yeah, try it on top, just balm. laying it on your body and brushing. And, you know, a big part of the ceremonial work too is we call them spiritual baths, plant baths. And just cutting up the lemon balm into teeny pieces, it's like pranam with an offering in your heart, what your prayer is. You can whisper it with the plant and put it in a foot bath even. Or if you want to strain it out of your regular bath, putting it in the bath that you take and then bathing with the plants is insane. (laughs) It's Mm. so transformative. I can't even tell you. We actually sometimes even, if it's a really hot day in the yard, part of the practice is taking this plant bath and just pouring it over your head. It's like a baptism or blasting your stomach with it, like anywhere you're having problem. It's a transformative experience, the spiritual plant bath. Sounds like something I could do with my son in a yes. less spiritual way. He would have fun with he it. He would. It'd be less meditative and more fun, but he would love it. It's so fun. You can definitely do it with your kids. I encourage that. Tell us about your involvement with the Elevation Belly Dance Festival and why that event is so special. Well, it's special because it's right by my hometown. And I was friends with the woman that created it. She's wonderful, the dancer Elizabeth Ashner. And I like that it's, I'd say it's on the smaller side, so it's very intimate. And yeah, that ambassador program is special because I think those dancers, they're just given VIP service, you know, where they're really taken care of. And then that opportunity to develop a relationship with them. Like I truly developed a friendship with Rachel Bryce because of it. We really connected. And yeah, just some of the most amazing teachers teach there. She gets some really good dancers, I'd say. And so then the performance is out of this world. The main event then is all the teachers performing. 
And wow, dressing up for that is super fun. It's encouraged. <laughs> so even the audience, you know, we're all wearing our most elaborate decorative outfit if you want to be even part of the audience. And then the Hoflas are special, like Rachel dancing with you at two in the morning <laughs> at the bar, you know. So it's a very intimate festival, I'd say. Is there live music at the festival as well? Yeah, Elizabeth is a big fan of live music. So there is. It sounds like that's your jam. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's a huge part of her dancing life. Very cool. Oh, I want to talk about your online consultations that you do. You have a distance wellness consulting option on your compassionate-medicine.com site. Yes. Yeah, this whole quarantine thing too. I've always wanted to learn more about the edible plants all around me and I'm finally doing it. It's such a nice invitation to be like, I am going to go foraging. Yeah. You know? <laughs> Rachel, thank you so much for what you've offered to us and shared with us especially in the vein of self-healing and bringing meaning into our dance and our life and our moments. I just want to express on behalf of all listeners that are enjoying this podcast, our gratitude for what you do with your own self-healing and healing others and how you've just helped all of us. So thank you for dancing and thank you for the thoughtfulness you've put into being compassionate and helping other beings. Gosh, that was beautiful, Alicia. <laughs> thank you. I'm very moved. <laughs> I'm very honored too that you reached out and I love what you do. Thank you for your service. Thank you, Rachel. I hope you've enjoyed the show. Please subscribe and let your friends know what you got out of this show. Dance with me on YouTube, listen to the music I've selected for you on Spotify, and try some free vegan recipes on AliciaFree.com. This is Alicia Free, hoping this show helped you feel a little lighter.